Hello and welcome to another episode of Run to the Hills. I'm Chris Bland. And I'm Tim Taylor. Hi. So we've had this week for a star or a first has been a relatively active one in the running world this week, Tim. We've had three separate events, even though there's been no official races going on and nothing particularly exciting happening. First off, something that I'm sure most people have heard about, Tom Moore, uh, Captain Tom, I think everyone's been calling him. 100-year-old guy, or he was 99 when he did it, did 100 laps of his 25-meter garden, which we have a lot of time for here, don't we? Yeah, that's amazing. That guy's that guy's raised so much money for the National national Health. I was going to say the National Trust then, but no, the National Health Service, of course. He's just done amazing. And I saw the I saw that thing where the, the, the local regiment did a guard of honor for him as well when he was getting to the 100th lap. I mean, what a legend. Yeah, it was really good. I think he raised 14 million in the end. Um, no, 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 it's, it's way, no, it's way, it's way more than that. I'm going to Google it. Is it, it more than that on. now? Yeah, yeah, it's shed loads. I'm sticking to the word shed. <laughs> good. Um, initially, he'd only wanted to raise a thousand pounds, and what's more, he did it in his old uniform, didn't he? His parade stuff with his medals on, which, yeah, I just got all the time in the world for this guy. So, have yeah, you found out? Absolutely. I have not found out, but it's over twenty-seven million. Oh, wow, amazing! Um, So the next thing um, is the treadmill 50K world record has fallen for the third time this year. (laughs) I think people might be inside slightly too much. Um, Matthias Kaisberg or Kaisbors um, has done it in two hours, 56 minutes and 35 seconds, 50 seconds faster than the last record. And I'm sure within a month, someone else will have beaten this. Just give me that time again, Chris, will you? I don't believe the time. The time is bizarre. Two hours, 56.35. Oh, my God. So I'm going to do more maths on this. You can keep talking. (laughs) So he was initially an Orienteer guy. Um, All of his races have been cancelled. He said he'd had a great summer, a great winter training and didn't want to let it go to waste. So smart. Wow. That's three and a Uh, half minute kilometres rapid three and a half million kilometers oh my god i don't even think my car does that um and then the other event is the isolation ultra uh mark cockbane's event and mike raffin someone you know quite well don't you tim yeah we we went we went up to see mike recently when we did that expo um in glasgow and he just he was still in hospital at the time he just like had some major plumbing done to his heart because his his heart was like plumbed in a different way to everyone else's apparently um and he's just uh yeah yeah a, a, st- a stunningly fit guy who, who who had a very badly plumbed heart and now uh it's been fixed but yeah so, so what did he do so he ran the furthest he'd ran after that sort of surgery this year the most he's run in all of 2020 has been eight miles and then he decided to push that and see what he could do and got to 106 miles in his backyard running loops of less than 100 meters. Oh, wow. And was that in a certain time limit? You can keep going as long as you want. You just can't stop okay. for, I think it's 15 minutes. Okay. So 100, 106 miles. Because Mike, of course, has won the hill in the past and done the tunnel ultra and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but when he was in when he was in hospital, he was in... Um, I think he was in intensive in intensive care for several days after his operation because that's like normal. Um, and he was wanting to climb this, literally wanting to climb the stairs. And they were like going, 
no, 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 you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to go upstairs if you're in intensive care. So he was like doing, I think he was doing like laps of the ward the day after, the day after his operation and stuff like that. But a great character. Well done him. So unfortunately, he's just been bested by Neil Wheeler, who pipped him with 107 miles. Oh man, don't you hate that? So if anyone else wants to have a go at this, um, Mark Cock, uh, Cockbane events on Facebook, I think there's either, there's about five days left on it. Um, wow. The last thing I wanted to say is Tim and I were talking about this just before we started. There's a documentary out on 24 hour skateboarding and people trying to push for 300 miles in 24 hours around a track. So if you're wanting to watch something completely ridiculous on ultra distance, I recommend that. And I'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. Look forward to it. Um, what about you, way. Tim? What's new um, with you? Well, I, what's new with me? I'm very excited. I got some new trainers this week from uh, Shelly and Lee at Let's Run. They're called Mac 3, which sounds like a razor blade, but apparently it's a new pair of hockers. And uh, I... Had them on yesterday, went for a five-mile run and uh, enjoyed it very much. So I'm very excited with new pair of trainers. You can't fail to be excited. How big are they? Are they giant? No. Oh, no, they're not. They, they for, for hawkers, they look like normal trainers, to be fair. They're not really like, they're not quite in the clown territory. And uh, yeah, I like them. They're quite like normal, just like, they're not even garish colours. They're just like red and blue. They just look normal. How are you finding running at the moment? You're doing quite a lot of it. I'm doing probably more running in the last month than I've done in the previous 12 months, if I'm honest, and quite enjoying it. So uh, hoping it's going to uh, reignite my my uh, love affair with, with running, and especially on the trails when we get back onto them. Yeah, definitely can't wait for the trails. Um, although today, terrible segue, but the person we're talking to, not a trail runner for the first time, but we're talking to Ali Dixon, uh, someone oh, that I think we've... We've been sponsoring for quite a while, know relatively well, crazy, crazy good athlete. Um, and recently last year took the 50K non-treadmill record. Um, and yes, yeah, at the world record and got a world title in it. Yeah, great, great, great runner and great supporter of local uh, running up in Sunderland as well. So really well known in the Northeast. And uh, I'm really interested to hear what she's been up to. Yeah, the thing that was really interesting is uh, she's completely self-programmed, does it all herself, everything like that, which is quite unusual at that sort of level. So without further ado, here's our interview with Ali Dixon. Yeah, so my dad was a marathon runner, kind of he's run pretty much all his life from a young age. So literally from the day I was born, I was just emerged into running like my dad had to miss a race for me being born which I don't think he actually forgive us until I was standing on the start line of the Rio Olympics <laughs> but um yeah it's just like he used to run marathons and all that kind of stuff and I'd go along to watch him and as a kid it was quite boring standing watching him so I would do the fun runs which were always incorporated with the races and then it just kept us entertained and out of trouble and then when I went to secondary school I've made a new friend there because there was a few primary schools merged into the one secondary and she was a member of the local Harriers and told us that they were going to Flamingo Land in the October half term holidays so I decided that I wanted to go to Flamingo Land so I went home that night and said 
dad, I want to join the Harriers. And his face lit up. He's like, get in, just finally join the running club. And I said, so I need to go to the Harrier, to Flamingo Land. And I went to Flamingo Land, enjoyed a day out. And then here I am 31 years later, still out pounding the miles on the streets. Brilliant. I like it. And then it talks through a little bit. You've obviously had an awesome career with it. Talks through a little bit of the highlights. What have you enjoyed? Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, I've made it to kind of, I think it's six world championships, four Europeans, two Commonwealths and an Olympic. So obviously the big highlight of that is an Olympic Games. Every athlete dreams of making an Olympic Games and, you know, very, very few actually do get there. So it took 20 odd years of hard work to get there. It was one of those dreams that you have where you never really believe it's going to come true. And then when it does, you're still kind of questioning, has this came true or am I still dreaming? But, you know, it was never an easy ride. Nothing is a linear progression. There was lots of ups and downs, lots of setbacks, lots of knockbacks. But I just kept on going and it was mainly because I love running. You know, even if I wasn't good at it, I would still run just because I love the simple art of running. And, yeah, I've been very lucky where I've had some great opportunities. I've grabbed them both grabbed them all with both hands and just, you know, took every opportunity I could get and just worked really, really hard and made it right up there to the Olympics. And yeah, it's it's quite hard to explain kind of being at an Olympic, standing on that start line, running, being in the village and all that kind of stuff. But it is just, yeah, it was, it, it's still something where you look back on and when you hear like, some of the locals might say like, oh, I was running with an Olympian. I'm like, who were you running with? I'm like, uh, you. I'm like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, you, it's hard to sometimes remember, yeah, you are an Olympian. And, you know, when I was a kid, I would look up to these Olympians and think, oh, my God, the superhuman. And now I am one. It's kind of like, you know, we're actually not superhuman. We're just very you know, hard and determined, stubborn people. And I've always said, and when I'm talking to young kids, I'm not the most talented athlete out there, but my big talent is that I've been able to absorb a lot of training and I've got a stickability. You know, I just kept on working away until I got what I wanted and got what I set out to achieve. And that's what's made it up there. So by when you say stickability, do you mean um, a mental fortitude or sort of a really good recovery system or which particular part of that? Or a bit of both? A bit of both, really. Like one of my big kind of talents is that I can recover and I can absorb training. I've been very lucky in that I haven't had any major injuries. Probably only had three over my whole career. And kind of my mental attitude as well. I know I'm not the best, but... I get the best out of me and that has put us up there, you know, on a British terms. I have been a few years where I have been up there amongst the best and it's just taken those opportunities. And if somebody tells you you can't do something, you know, I'll show them that I can, if I believe that I can. And I think that's what it is, kind of the self-belief without being kind of overconfident or arrogant. I have a self-belief that I can do something and... Once I have that belief in myself, I'll work really hard and go out there and make sure that I do do it. Amazing. There was something sort of on that topic that I was reading about. Are you or were you at one point self-coached? I am self-coached, yeah. I have You're been since... 
2012, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so um, pretty much I had two world championships where I had a coach and then in 2012, kind of me and my coach went separate ways and since then I've improved over every distance, PB'd over every distance and it's when I've had my most success. So, yeah. How do you, do you have anything that you would accredit you the thing I always find that must be difficult with self-coaching is keeping yourself accountable and being able to step back and look at your own progress objectively rather than being like either this is something that I think the problem is or this is what I enjoy doing how do you keep yourself accountable yeah it can get really tricky because obviously if you're self-coach you're going to give yourself a lot of the stuff that you love to do so you know for me I could quite easily just go long run every day because it's my favorite part of training but I know that I need to do hills and I need to do short speed stuff and all that sort of because they're probably my weaknesses so I need to um, work on those more but I've been very lucky the last kind of six years I've had somebody where I'll write the program and I'll write it as if it's for somebody else rather than writing it for myself and then I'll send it off to her and say can you look through this the first thing she normally says is you need more rest days and then after that, we're like, maybe tweak a few things, you know, kind of, or you don't need to go that long on your tempo run or that long on your long run sort of thing. So, yeah, but I think the main thing is, was I put kind of on my training, I put on Strava and that kind of thing. And that helps to keep us a little bit more accountable because I'm like, well, do I want people seeing this? And, you know, I want to make the most of this training because people are, got to be out there and I don't know these people but they've got to be judging us and commenting on it so I want to make it the best training that I can do and it's also kind of it gives me a lot more ownership because everything I do is then down to me I haven't got a coach if something goes wrong I can't say oh it's because you did the trip got my training wrong and that kind of thing it's just everything out there is me and I'm fully responsible for my training and my performances and everything around that. Has your approach to training changed that much or has it stayed pretty consistent? Um, it's pretty consistent. I've changed probably the actual setup of the training over the years because I've worked out, you know, I knew that I was a high mileage runner I work really well off high mileage and like I say, I love doing long runs. So that helps. And, but the one thing that I have found as I was getting older more than anything was that I needed more recovery in between the hard sessions and the hard days. So I went from the usual kind of seven day cycle that, you know, 99% of people will use and I spread it over a nine to 10 day cycle. So I was still doing the three hard efforts, but it was over a longer period. So I would do, say, a track session, have two easy days, do a tempo run, have two easy days, and then do a long run. And my long run is classed as my third hard day of that block. And then I'd have a rest day and start all over again. And I just found that then I could keep both the volume and the intensity up quite high. And, you know, I worked really well off that and it provided some good results. So a lot of kind of masters athletes have now started saying to us and asking us questions how do you still run well in like into your early 40s and that's the one thing I tell them don't be afraid 
to change your training to suit you. I know it's harder for a lot of people because they've got full-time work and they like to go down to the club and do the club sessions and that sort of thing. But if that doesn't suit you, just change it. So go down to your club and do the Tuesday track session, but then don't necessarily do your Thursday tempo with them. Maybe make that, move that into a Friday or onto a Saturday so you've got like a good rest and recovery period in between the hard days. But you've got to sacrifice something and it's normally one of the hard days that's got to be dropped so that you can keep that intensity up high and get the volume in there as well. Amazing. Um, So last thing I wanted to talk to you about was last year, was it September? You went to Romania and did your first ever ultra, did awesome. So tell us about that. It sounds crazy. Yeah. Um... It was something that I'd kind of been looking at for a few years, but it was a case of fitting it in because obviously I still had ambitions over the marathon. I still had teams that I wanted to make on the marathon. And then I fell out of love a little bit with the marathon in 2018. I had a pretty bad year. On paper, it doesn't look a bad year. I finished sixth in the Commonwealth Games. So most people would be over the moon with that, but I wanted a medal at those games. And I'd also planned to retire after those games, but because I didn't do as well as I wanted, I decided that I would carry on. And then I ran Chicago, ended up dropping out at 18 miles. So, yeah, I decided I'd had enough of the marathon. I ended up getting a phone call from Boston Marathon in the January, same where you run here in April. And, you know, I agreed to that. And doing Boston got my love back for the marathon. But I'd also been looking at the 50k just as another challenge and something else to excite us and motivate us. And I sent a text to somebody who was advising us at the time and said, I'm thinking of doing this 50k, what do you think? And I reply were, you're absolutely nuts, but I think you'd be really good at it. So I put the feelers out to the team selectors, said, you know, I'm looking for selection. This is my CV. Will you please consider us and I got an email back saying yeah we'll consider you but just a heads up not all good marathon runners make good ultra runners I was like okay right cheers for that so thankfully I made the team and the 50k isn't that much different from the marathon so training didn't change much I added a few miles onto my long run but my sessions and my tempos and that kind of thing they all remained the same and I went over to Fontmore in the Pyrenees, where I spent a lot of time to do training. Went out there middle of July, spent, I think it was about five weeks over there. And I managed to get into really, really good shape. And about two weeks before the 50k, I'd done a 10-mile tempo on a route that I always use for my 10-mile tempos over there. And I was only three seconds slower than what I was when I ran my marathon PB. So I decided there and then that I wasn't doing the 50. I was going to go and do Berlin Marathon instead. And my partner was with us. He was on the bike. And he was like, don't be stupid. Berlin's another four weeks down the line. Anything could happen. You're in really good shape. Stick to your plans. Just go out and, you know, smash the 50. And luckily for me, I went into a kind of as an underdog because, you know, it was my first ultra and although I had and I was an Olympian over the marathon distance, people were pretty much just ignoring us. So press conference and everything, I just wasn't involved in. And that was really good because I could just go in and be the underdog. And 
I had the target of breaking the British record, which was 316. I knew I could quite comfortably do that as long as I was sensible. So I set off. My first mile was probably a little bit too fast. One of my teammates, Helen, went off and I was like, well, I need to stick with that. And I looked at my watch, I was like, no, this is too fast. So I backed off and I was really conscious of running to an effort level, which I knew was sustainable because I didn't want to blow up in those extra five miles once you got past the marathon distance. So my way of judging my effort, it was a mixed race and it was loops that we were running. So every time the lads were running down the opposite direction, I was shouting of them, go on, lads, you're looking really strong and that. And, you know, they couldn't reply most of the time because they were working pretty hard. And they actually said to us after, they're like, how could you run so fast and talk at the same time? But that was my way of judging the effort level. And knew as long as I could do that, I was running within myself. And then we got to the 42 kilometers and I did have a bit of a mental wobble in that I'd never raced beyond that point. I trained up to 30 miles. So I knew like covering the distance was no problem, but running it at six minute mile is a little bit different. So yeah, different. I did have like a kilometer or two where I was just like, oh, please don't like, you know, body just hung in there and the legs were starting to cramp. But then with just under five kilometers to go, the team manager was at the final feed station and shouted to us, you're going to smash the world record. And I actually shouted back to her, what is the world record? Because, <laughs> you know, it wasn't something I was looking at. So I hadn't looked up to see what it was or anything. In my head, I thought it was around about three or six. And... From then on, I just like literally legged it down the last 4.5k, got to the finishing straight and, you know, the crowds weren't big or anything, but the lads who had already finished were in the team tent, they were cheering for us and I just really enjoyed that last 400. I did slow off a little bit, which, you know, probably shouldn't have, probably should have kept on going all the way to the line, but to cross the line as a world champion, it was something that I'd never thought I'd ever do and then be told that you'd broken the world record by 80 seconds it was like oh right <laughs> you know it was an added bonus but it was an amazing bonus you know there's not many people out there can say that they were world record holder and although the 50k isn't a widely run event that world record had stood for 31 years so it's not like it was a soft world record it stood the test of time and then I was the first one to come along kind of I was taking it serious, but nobody else, I don't think, were really taking me as a 50k runner serious yeah. and kind of showed them, well, actually, you know, I'm not too bad. Not too bad at all. If, um, obviously, yeah. event or environment sort of depending, are you hoping to go back again or is sort of a one-time thing? I always said it was a one-time thing. And, you know, I crossed the line and said, that's it, I'm retiring from ultras go out on the top, I've got a 100% record just now, world champion, world record holder, you just set yourself up for defeat if you go back. But, you know, I'll never say never. Obviously, we don't know what's happening. They did announce just a few weeks ago that the next world championships are going to be this November in Jordan. And, you know, I would like to defend my title, but I don't know if I fancy running 50 kilometres in Jordan. I think it'll be... Yeah pretty tough in those conditions but i also don't even know if the event will go ahead now because we don't know what's going to be happening in november so yeah i'll never say never but at the minute i'd say i'm pushing on the side of the probably won't do one again yeah.
I'll ask some questions relatively quickly. You can answer completely at your own pace. But starting off with road or trail? Road. Hot or cold? What was that one, Sally? Hot or cold? Hot. Sun or rain? Sun. Favourite music to run to? Uh, I don't listen to music when I run. I like just the sound of nature. Best answer you could have given. And how many pairs of trainers do you own? <laughs> um, too many to count. <laughs> Perfect. Um, what's the longest you've gone without washing any of your running kit? Oh, probably when we're in Kenya and we've got to do the hand washing. So you put them off as long as possible. And, you know, you can sometimes get a good two or three days out of the same pair of shorts and vest. Those training camps in Kenya look amazing, by the way. Um, yeah, right, brilliant. no, focus. I'm meant to be on quick fire. Um, so what's the strangest thing you've ever seen on a run? Um, probably Kenya again and just seeing wild giraffes and snakes and all sorts of weird wildlife, which you don't normally get around Sunderland. Yeah, different. Um, yeah. What's the sketchiest place you've ever been for a run? Some part of Sunderland. <laughs> yeah, <there's... laughs> we. I love Sunderland. Obviously, it's my hometown and everything. But there's some areas where you don't really want to be running through unless you're running good low five minute mileing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's the most interesting prize you've ever seen on a race or at a race? Um, probably back in the 80s when my dad was still competitive and he used to win like whiskey decanters and cutlery sets and, you know, all sorts of weird household objects. <laughs> Damn, a cutlery set would be a great thing to win. Okay, yeah. brilliant. That's all of our quick fire round. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Run to the Hills. If you could please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to this, leave us a rating and a review, and that would be absolutely amazing. If not, give us a subscribe. Thank you, and see you next week.